One day I think we could actually imitate the intro music, maybe. Yeah, just that would throw people off. If we got it just perfect. Welcome back to another episode of Presentation Thinking, a.k.a. That's right. Listening, yeah, listening to dogs bark. (laughs) (laughs) A.k.a. Woof, 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 which is (laughs) pitching ain't easy. This is a storyteller's study club. Molly, what's up? This is a pitch partner paradise. Yeah. We're always looking for more alliterated, alliterative inside jokes. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Hey, Mikey. How is it? Go- how are you? I see you're drinking something over there. Yeah, I have a ranch Rita. What do you have? Um, I have a true, I have a canned Guinness poured into a glass that okay. has the word Guinness on it that I thrifted. Well, cheers to you because cheers. we just had our first ever successful uh, presentation thinking webinar. We did yesterday, people. And if you weren't there, that sucks. What a bummer. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. There will be more because it was a huge success. There were people there, real people that we didn't even plant there. There were a couple of those too, but there were real people asking questions, engaging, and we talked about cover slides and it was really fun and we can't wait to do it again. Yeah. I didn't think you could just have an entire webinar on the topic of one slide type, but after Dave Sheets came in, creative director at Ghost Ranch, presented this awesome framework for thinking about, you know, what do I put on my cover slide? Which is so often an afterthought. So often we just can't wait to get to the actual, like the second slide, right? Where people know what the heck they want to say. So thinking about that thing that we don't think about is exactly what we're here to do at presentation thinking and turning over all these stones, right, Molly? We're overthinking all the time. Maybe. (laughs) This is a podcast about overthinking. Bunch of nerds. Hey, well, today, holy cow, we are completing one of the most anticipated trilogies in at least our genre. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings music. Maybe you've followed along. Maybe you're just skipping ahead. But this uh, today we're talking about Dan and Chip Heath, Made to Stick. This is the third part of our three-part series Digging through this book. And Molly, why did we break it up? Uh, We broke it up because it was so meaty. So Dan and Chip Heath are a pair of brothers with one syllable names, Heath, Chip, and Dan. (laughs) And they they set out to figure out what makes messages stick and why. The science behind that, the the right combination behind that. This whole book has tons and tons of great examples. Now, I can't wait to see, I told Mikey, like, They have a bunch of new resources, and I'd love to see this book updated with even more recent examples, but they have an awesome checklist called the Success Checklist that we really had to break up and into three parts to really get into it. And for part three, what have we got today? Yeah. So the success uh, is their little cool, smart, clever acronym for building a sticky message. And there's six of them. Is that right? And we're focusing on the last two. But yeah, from the top, it is simple, unexpected. Let's see. Credible, concrete, yeah, concrete, incredible, yep, emotional, and then stories. So today we're talking about those last two emotion and stories that go into making a sticky message, yeah. So you can tune into episode 17 or episode 14 for part two or one, but it's not super 
what's that called? Sequential. So yeah. no worries if you're just here. Keep keep playing. Cool. So Molly, not to reveal too much, but we we did as we do in college, and you and I did a group approach where you read one and I read the other. So I know we're both going to finish this book, but for now, I'm dying to hear what you learned from the emotional chapter, chapter five. Yeah, we split it up. It's, it's, uh, so I'm presenting this chapter right, people, to the class. Yeah. yeah, Presenting to the class, the emotional chapter of Made Stick, starting on, you know, page... 165 if you're if you're following along turn to that page now <laughs> um so the chip and dan heath they open it with uh i'm gonna say their full names every time chip and dan heath brothers opened it up with a mother Teresa quote talking about emotions if i look at the mass i will never act if i look at one i will and this is about appealing to people's emotions right so they go dive into this and talk about lots of examples the first is about the charity complex with getting people to donate money to Africa. They get people to complete a survey. They give them five single dollar bills afterwards. And then afterwards, different sets of people are given different letters. Letter number one lists some huge statistics about struggling children in Africa, the size of the problem, the state of different countries, and will you donate X amount of money or will you donate some money for this problem? Letter number two talks about a seven-year-old girl named Rokia from Mali and how any money donated will go directly to help feed her every day, give her clean water, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, no surprise, letter number two was way more effective. It was, I think, on average of the $5, people gave like $250, $260. Um, still a little stingy if you ask me. But um, in letter number one, people gave $170 or something like that. So there's an obvious difference when you appeal to people's emotions by putting a face to the name, putting themselves in their shoes, and breaking down big statistics. Kind of comes back to some of the concrete pieces of success uh, sticky stories where it's like you got to break something down so it's less ambiguous for people. It's hard to wrap your brain around an entire country or continent, sorry, struggle. And I myself, having worked in some nonprofit places, had some experience with this. You know, people in a lot of the marketing and communications departments, there's huge emphasis on stories and these like emotion. We'll talk about this when we get to your story chapter, but it's the emotions evoked when you hear about someone specific and there's like, you know, imagine like you have to walk X amount of miles every day to go get your water and how much time that would take up and you're carrying your baby on your back, et cetera, et cetera. That's the thing. That's the marketing campaign. It's not we're missing this much amount of water in uh, Zimbabwe or something. So it can be, you know, there's there's thoughts around and discourse around this now, like, you know, got to get permission from people to actually use their photos and that kind of thing. But overall, a great lesson on how to appeal to people's emotions. You put a picture of a kid. Think about those, like, what's the uh, p- the puppy uh, donations that come on late at night on TV? That's... Um, um, with McLaughlin? Yes, yes. Sarah McLaughlin's song that's like, <laughs> in the arms of an angel. And there's just like the saddest dog you've ever, ever seen. Like... You know, if you're, if you're sad enough to don't like that, it's going to make you donate some money to go help those dogs out. You know, um, another great example I loved was they have this theory called the semantic stretch, which is that if things are used too much, the words like relativity and uniqueness, if used too often, they become irrelevant. There's a reason the words groovy 
and that kind of thing are associated with the 60s because they're outdated. Or if your dad says the word cool, it's not doesn't seem that cool all of a sudden. And they talk about the word sportsmanship and how sportsmanship in the late 90s became so lame. And there were so many um, accounts of confrontation between referees and youth um, youth sports parents, oh right? So you're a parent of two girls. I don't know if you've you've uh, yelled at a ref, but I've definitely seen my dad in a baseball game just yell at a ref, <laughs> yell at an umpire. And so there were far too frequent confrontations. Jim Thompson of the Positive Coaching Alliance formed in 1988, started a campaign to call it honoring the game, you know, because he wanted to connect to people care about sports. They care about the game. The, you know, sportsmanship was like consolation prize for losers. That's what it had become. And so this kind of campaign helped propel people to calm down and care about the game and care less about exactly what was happening, right? And what they found is that, you know, from 2002 to 2004, there were far less technical fouls. It was one instead of one every 52, or it was one every 52 instead of one in 15, sorry, for a Dallas youth basketball club, which is pretty phenomenal numbers in two years. And a baseball league in Northern California found that there was a 90% reduction in the number of people ejected from games from bad behavior. And all because of this kind of this, um, this training, this positive coach alliance training, this campaign to get people to honor the game instead of be a sportsmanship. So this updating of the language and connecting it to the emotions and being relevant, I thought was very interesting as well. Yeah. I didn't think that was necessarily part of people's emotions, but it was. Honor the game has a, that nice succinct snappy, a nice tag it's on it. Yeah. Kind of work. Yeah. They've got it all. Uh, another good one, you know, is like, obviously when we're creating messaging, we've said, we've talked about this before, but when founders are trying to get money for their investor deck, they talk about painting the world, imagine the world, how it would be with your product or service helping someone. Right. So f- focus on those, those benefits and, um, less on the features. It's less about you. Like, how's it going to help the person? Right. If someone's giving you the, their dollar bill, then like, how's it going to help them? Um, and they do a cool study about cable TV when it was coming in the eighties in Arizona. And they had two messages. One was just talking about, this is how people will benefit from cable. People will have access to X amount of channels and this, this, and this. And it was a little more statistical. And the second message was, imagine that you don't have to pay for a babysitter because you have entertainment at your house every night. And it was, imagine all these things where you, 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 get to do this. And the word you was used probably a dozen times in the space of a few sentences. And the rate of those subscribers from the the sample test was 20% of the, from the statistical message versus 47% for cable. So people were excited about the world with cable because they saw themselves in it. Right. And you connect to like what you care about, you know, I was thinking about Instagram ads. I've definitely been targeted with a few, few too many of those. If it comes up frequently enough and it's telling me how my life is going to be better with these like hiking pants that zip off into shorts, I'm like, I'm going to buy them. And I did. Did you buy them? You did? <laughs> yeah, I did. I was, are you wearing, I thought are you, about are it. Are they enough. zipped or unzipped right now? I got them packed for my trip this weekend and they're unzipped for the warm weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just in case weather picks up, yeah. cold front hits Hilton Head, you're like, I don't right, know. Have you ever had I, an emo- I have that option now. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever had like bought into like an emotional buy or an emotional marketing thing? <laughs> no. He has no heart. I don't have a heart. So, oh <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. I am. You know, the ones that get me, I guess maybe I'm just thinking because of the, the exam, the first example in Africa, but the heifer.org, like that organization always like tugs at my heartstrings. You can... With this little impact, you can buy a goat that'll provide goat 
milk and Aww. cheese to a family and it's um but they do a great job of absolutely cookies. showing the human impact that you have as opposed to like some other approaches of people who come yeah come for donations and um yeah that human element really has definitely worked on me before yeah i was thinking a lot about like just nonprofit stuff in this in this one because they even say this is a good quote from you know, one set page 173, they say the most basic way to make people care is to form an association between something they don't yet care about and something they do care about. So kind of being like, oh, you connect to this because if you couldn't get your family milk or cheese or yeah, clean water. Yeah. And less about, I think when it's more of the Instagram ad thing, it's more of like, imagine your life with this, right? So it's like, uh-huh. there's a bit of both where both the marketers can use it and these nonprofit like fundra- fundraisers can do yeah. it as well. I think that stuff works really well. It's almost the clickbaity, but just like, and maybe this was more appealing before the pandemic when everyone was remote, but like when I was full-time in an agency in 2010, 2012, that four-hour work week book came out. I was just like, yeah, like, why don't, why doesn't everyone do this thing and work remotely? And, um, and then, so yeah, what hooks, what would hook me then that hooks people now is like thought gurus who are going to show you how I made my life so kick-ass and, I hardly work. I'm crushing it. But yeah, th- those are full on like paint a picture of what you could do if you just follow my, you know, what it could be. If you follow these like five easy yeah. steps, if you got you the Lambo. This. Yeah. And yeah. that's a perfect segue into this other big example they focus on, which is started with this guy, John Cables in 1925, who I guess didn't have any experience in advertising, was given a job. I don't know. Classic. 20s men. Um, and uh, and he goes, he wrote, they laughed when I sat down at the piano, dot, 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 until I played. And this setup of no one expected this to happen until I did it, right? Like, just wait until it, like, you might not think this is possible to be like a van lifer until you sell all your stuff and do what I do. I felt, I see all those people on TikTok. And so people have replicated this, right? It's the thing of like, my husband laughed when I ordered our carpet through the mail, like these infomercials until he realized I saved 50% on, and it's a bit of a Geico replicates that in a really evolved way, even though we know it's like gimmicky and they've, they're self-referential. They make fun of themselves. That message and that setup has been able to withstand the test of time because they keep updating it in funny ways. They, the what's in it for you, the acronym for that is WIFI, WIFI, W-I-I-F-Y from Jerry Weissman, who's the guy who helps CEOs deliver speeches, really always wants to emphasize that. He says, you know, like if people can't see what they can get from it, even if like they don't quite have it in their life now, then they're not going to, they're not going to care. Now this can also backfire. They talk about an example where firefighters are being offered to view a safety film for a free popcorn popper and how offensive that was to them because it was absolutely unrelated. It was not, you know, like, of course, firefighters are a firefighter because they already care. They're emotionally invested in their job, you would think. And yeah, sure, maybe there's some good benefits, but they are ultimately helping people. So they don't really give a shit about a free popcorn popper. And that was something that really backfired for this um for this fire safety film thing. <laughs> it seems a little ridiculous. Molly, by the way, I think we have an honorary presentation thinker. Jerry Weissman, I looked him up. He's got this like Forbes column. Everything is about like presentation tips for Joe Biden, how children's authors would create killer presentation decks. I think we're diving in to Jerry uh, on a future episode. We'll put him in the spice cabinet. He invented Wiffum with or Wiffy. What's in yeah. it for you? Yeah. What's in it for you? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know who invented what's in it for you, but he invented this acronym. People love to own an acronym, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was, I, I think 
in my mind, I understand like appealing to people's emotion and yeah, they talk about appealing to the self-interest and people caring about themselves, but also caring about other things and connecting it to it, but breaking it down in a really clear way was very helpful in this chapter. I thought they did a great job. They close it out with, um, there's a Stanford professor, James March, who proposes that there are two basic models for people to make decisions. And that's one, you can calculate the consequences, you weigh the alternatives, you assess the value and you choose based on what's going to be the best, the most value for you. So even if you're spending money on something, like it's going to add a certain amount of value to your life. And number two is people make decisions on identity. So who am I? What kind of situation is this? And what do people like me do in this kind of situation? And that can connect to like, am I a giving person? Do I give to people that need help? If I have some extra money, can I give it away? Will this help the group that I'm helping? They have some political examples of, you know, if I'm donating to this politician, then that's going to go forward and help their campaign and help my party, I believe in. Or, you know, you might be okay with like these fringe groups thinking like some pretty intense extreme opinions, but you believe in free speech, right? So it's like, there's a fine line of blending those two together on identity-based decisions and value-based decisions. And they really give some good examples on what could be useful in different situations. I think for presentation thinkers, I mean, depending on who you're presenting to, you would think about what might appeal to them. Are they in, like, if you're a researcher you and you're presenting to scientists, then you might not need a lot of like, oh, let me show you this like story of how this has changed this person's life. You might be able to, you might be able to pull on like, be like, this is what it could do for you if you can also participate in my research, you know? So I think it's a, it just depends on what kind of appeal you're making and how to pull on those emotional heartstrings. I like that too. There's that term like job to be done. Yeah. I mean, if everyone's got something, whether it's their personal life or their day-to-day professional identity that's when I think they would really put themselves in it. That even that scientist, right? It's like, okay, yeah. Is this going to help me and us with this really important thing we're working on? There's always a, a way in to tap that emotion, I would assume. Important. Yeah. So for people to take action, they have to care. That's super important. So chapter six then, I think is sort of that culmination of, you know, of everything. Um, it's about stories. It's the last S in their success framework. And they kick off as they do with a little bit of research. So there was a study by three psychologists who divided two groups and created a few stories. The first group was read a story uh, in which there was this critical object associated with the character in the story. So this guy, John and his sweatshirt, basically. So in the first group, you know, the example was John put on his sweatshirt before he went jogging. And then in the second group, they read a story in which that critical object was separated from the main character. John took off his sweatshirt before jogging. Two sentences later, they threw in a reference to the sweatshirt. And then like they had this like computer measure how long it took people to read that sentence. And it was like pretty wild that the second group took longer to read the sentence than the people who thought, you know, John was already wearing the sweatshirt. And it's fascinating, I guess, because like it showed that people had to like geographically retrace the steps to say like, all right, now where's this sweatshirt again? And the what came out of that, well, like what the, the brothers say is like that we don't just see pictures in our head, but when you tell stories, like we actually simulate what's going on. And so the second group almost retraces the steps through the house, in down the hall, into the bedroom, right? It's like, that's where the sweatshirt is. Okay, now I can finish this sentence. And it's kind of wild. And, and so they go on to say like, there is no such thing as a passive audience when we hear a story you know, we truly like put ourselves in it. We, we simulate. 
And then so they they go on to say like, cool. So is that is that a good thing? Is what what's the big deal with simulation? They talk about like the benefits of mental s- stimulation. You can have like a, a visceral physical response. They say like when we drink lemon juice, but we imagine it's water, we salivate less. If you were to drink water, but imagine it's lemon juice, we salivate more. So like, just think like, yeah, just going through Whoa. that in your head, you can it, you have like a, a physical reaction. Yeah. My mouth, like, you know, I'm thinking about a warhead and if I see it in front of me, my mouth will just like completely water. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And yeah, so they're like, they say mental simulations help us manage emotions. That's why like if someone has a horrible fear of spiders or air travel or public speaking, you know, they can work with like someone to actually, they're going to guide them through it with these visualization exercises to focus more on the process than on this like scary thing. And the reason is because it can help you deal with what's going to happen. So they they use an example of like a man who's um, got a drinking problem. He will do better if he can rehearse how he's going to handle Super Bowl Sunday than if he, you know, like just kind of goes in blindly, doesn't know what to do. So doing those mental simulations can build skills and it really can help, especially with with uh, any exercise that does require a lot of thinking. So they circle this all back to say that the right kind of story effectively, you know, is a simulation and that that's so good because it can give sort of like context, like to something that might be a little more abstract. So maybe that's a direct tie into like concreteness. Right. But like the reason pilots are better off doing flight simulators than reading a bunch of instructional flight cards is because it connects those like those many bits of context that could be missing. And it's like, it's more of a real understanding of, of what they can get into. And then they kind of bring it all back to the fact that just like an audience is active. And when we guide them through a great story, you're preparing them to act just as stories help us simulate simulations, prepare us to act. So they actually also like one of the, the bigger I guess they, they had a couple Nordstrom callbacks, but Jared, the subway campaign was a Jared. big, uh, a big old call out in this next part of the chapter, which is really an, an important segue. But yeah, they talk about the success of that Jared subway campaign. If you're not familiar with it, I don't know when it was in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, about this story of this guy who had like a overweight 60 inch waistline. He started going to his local subway for every meal, basically. And, you know, they kind of spun it and, and he turned around his, he lost a lot of weight, became more healthy. And a, it was a, a manager at that subway store, like saw, I think this guy, Jared had like a little write up in a magazine or newspaper. And they're like, Hey, he took it up chain to subway. They took it to their in-house creative team and said, we should look into this. And, um, eventually they talk about actually like the in-house team was like, nah, nah, really. But eventually, you know, obviously it became a campaign um, in 1999, Subway was like flat in terms of any sales growth. Uh, 2000, they grew by 18%. 2001, they grew by another 16%. And while like most you know sandwich shops were growing like around 7% at that time. But the sort of the point of the whole Jared situation uh, that they talk about <laughs> is that like stories don't need to be pulled out of thin air, right? It's all about observation and spotting what is actually a great story. And so they say it's not, it's super important to be able to spot stories and um, it's not hard, but also with, it needs practice, right? Like you got to be able to know, know what to look for. And so they, they lay out a couple like story templates and they say the best way to be able to spot them is just to study storytelling. And, and so I'm sure everyone's heard of like some of the different frameworks that are out there. The brothers distill it down. They, they come up with like 
three basic plot lines that can help energize or inspire. And they say like that chicken soup for the soul, all those mini vignettes kind of boil down to some of these three basic plot lines. Um, I love those. One would be the challenge plot. Uh, So underdog stories, David, Goliath, rags to riches. Uh, Second would be the connection plot, which is like a story about people who develop relationships that bridge like a gap. Like there was that Mean Joe Green um, co-commercial from the 70s. Uh, I, I want to think of like maybe like uh, f- Remember the Titans or something, you know, something like that. Uh, and then there's third is like a creativity plot, which is like sort of coming up with a new way to do things. Think of MacGyver, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I might think of like just a, basically anything Elon Musk does. Um, yeah. And so, you know, once you know these plots, then you start to in your day to day life, in your business, whatever. Now you can start to find the stories that you think could create inspiration, could be memorable, and most importantly, invite participation, right? Because we know that a good story will help your audience put themselves in it, and it'll actually springboard them off into thinking of, into this problem-solving mode, both for the, the sort of characters in that plot, but also like if it's, it's, a, if it's one of these like springboard stories, they're thinking about their own world too, and how, the, how this thing applies to them. So pretty magical stuff in the, in the art of storytelling as we were probably, you know, predicting. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Ghost Ranch, for those that don't know, our tagline is the art for storytelling. And so I knew, I knew Mikey would be excited to own this chapter, if you will. Yeah, thanks for that. And report it back to us. That's amazing. And I was saying to you earlier, I think these, these chapters are so well connected because like, a good story has some emotion to it. Like the Jared thing, people have like, you know, maybe they can relate to it or that's something like that they are proud of, you know, as well. Like something like that's emotional, like something for, for someone to go through. And then in an emotional way, like it can be emotional to tell a story, right? When I was talking about like the, the single child in Africa versus the whole thing. So it's, they're really like woven together. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And good journalism, like you were saying, like story spotting, like you can tell when someone's like trying to like grasping at your house for a story. Whereas like other stuff is just fantastic journalism because they found a great story and really dove into it. It's funny. I think of like one of the early big stage presentation keynotes that I helped with. I learned a lot and it was for this like tech product keynote and the two speakers broke up the keynote into these like what they called vignettes. And it was really cool. Like there was fictitious characters, but they made up this guy, Greg and this gal, Allie. And like they had characters throughout this product keynote. But the point was so that they could actually show the audience how to use this tech tool, both from the buyer's side. So the marketer who would use these, you know, marketing automation tools. And then to the marketer's audience, Greg, you know, this consumer, like, here's what it would look like to Greg when he receives this SMS notification. And then he's, oh, he's trying to win over this girl, you know, Allie. And, um, it was like this, it was like, it was a story. And, there was um, romance involved. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, had, we found, uh, you know, shout out. Yeah. To that, that gang, but like, you know, those stock models who you like when you have to find a stock model with a happy face, a sad face, yeah. frustration, yeah, yeah. you know, angst. So we had to find like, those two cliche uh, Shutterstock models who have like her everywhere, but it was funny. And it's fun to assign to them, you know, a, a backstory. And we do think it helped. Like, I know like you could roll your eyes at that approach. You've probably seen it, but I, I liked it. And I, you know, we call them vignettes. Now we still embrace that device because if you're talking in abstracts, 
it was that concreteness. There was some emotion involved. There was story. And I thought it made for a fun keynote. Yeah. And a bit of the unexpectedness, I would say, too, with the gap theory. People wanted to know what happens. Like, are they exactly. gonna, is he going to yeah. win her over or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about like what the in the checklist that they have, the success checklist, maybe the impossible dream is to get all of these things, hit them right on the head. But I do think there's a lot of overlap. And maybe it depends on the context, as I was saying, is like who you're presenting to. But it's very possible to just check off. If you can check off like two or three of those, you're well on your way to making like your story and your messaging stickier. And so that probably checked off for you and for them, hopefully, especially if it was successful, at least, you know, four or five of the unexpected, simple, yeah, concrete, yeah. all coming back to the commander's intent. That simple oh. thing of like, we're going to make this easy for you. And here's the, here's exactly what it looks like. Like maybe that was, that was it depending on what their core was. Yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head. Like at the end of the day, if it's all scattered, you, you if you're trying to check the boxes of these, these different items, but it's not all pointing up to that North star, the commander's intent, the core, uh, as the brothers Heath call it, you know, then something's off. So it does all need to have this big through line. That is the connection. That's like, that's the big idea. And that's what, um, that's what a sticky idea has to have. It has to have that proverb, you know, like the thing that, that sticks in your audience's mind and like, is the version that they hear, is that the version that you intended for them to, to have? And that's, because we know like brands, you know, it's not what the brand department puts out as a logo or a color palette. It's what your end users think of when they think of your company or your your thing. So it's probably the same with a sticky message or a core idea. It's what what gets relayed, like what do they hang on to through those games of telephone? And hopefully you've simpl- simplified it enough, right? Yeah. And we're saying like if you have the emotions and the stories, like I was saying how like that can lead so easily for a call to action. But that means nothing if it doesn't come back to the exactly what your goal is of the audience and what your core messaging is as a company, as a service, whatever you are. So you got to always lead back to that's why we had the part one is completely about simplicity because that's, you know, capital S simplicity in the success checklist. (laughs) I think that is absolutely the most important. And if you can implement even to a handful of the other things into your messaging, then I think you are looking at something pretty sticky. Yeah. So Molly, to wrap up our, our, you know, book series, presentation book club made to stick. Yeah. What would you say, who do you think should read this? And um, yeah. How do you kind of like feel about it as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Brothers Chip and Dan Heath. I'm glad that I read this book. Uh, Very helpful for anyone creating. It's always great to just have a really cool breakdown that's backed by tons of examples that you didn't have to do (laughs) a bunch of research. They've gone super deep. Talk about like down the rabbit hole storytelling study club. They've gone super deep on what it is that makes messages stick, click, tick. And I think it's absolutely worth a read. I will say there is a um, guide at the end of the book, literally page 253. So if you have it at home, you can always just go to their easy reference guide, literally called making ideas stick the easy reference guide. And you could breeze through that if you're putting something together that's new or fresh and are trying to like find your North Star and kind of map out what the story looks like. I think that is a super useful resource. And we'll obviously link, opening up the spice cabinet here, we'll link the um, the website with more resources, free resources even on their website. And they've got loads of books as well. They do. Brothers Chip and Dan Heath. Yeah. What do you think, Mikey? Yeah, you liked it a lot? Yeah, I did. I, and you know what? Even the book cover, I feel like was so... 
So good. Do you have the yeah. one with the orange? Is it orange with the? It's orange. It looks yeah. like duct tape on it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a clever cover. There's um, duct tape. Yeah, we like that. I uh, I do think I don't know. I I don't want to quite call it um, a must read for any anyone in the like marketing, advertising, presenting space. But I'm you know I I do I think it it is really important to what we do and it covers in like just kind of aggregates so many of the great principles that go into making a great presentation. And so, yeah, I would encourage anyone who is serious about this stuff to read it. I thought per their goal of taking the sticky part of Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point, the sticky part, they break this down so well. And this is more useful than Gladwell's book for press thinkers is my recommendation. Yeah, it is what they set out to do, too. Yeah, it's exactly what they figure out how the heck to make it happen. Yeah. Mm hmm. Chip and Dan. So now we're just going to tag them a bunch and hope they listen to us chatting about their book. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You guys Um, can do that for us as well. I'm on there. Oh, I see. Cool. So if you go to heathbrothers.com slash resources slash overview, you have to sign up, I think. And then you have have access to all these. There's like really cool pieces on here. One of them, six tips for giving a great elevator pitch. Yeah. I want it. Another one that says making presentations that stick, like these are free resources. They've written written a number of other books, like more focusing on data, decision making, that kind of thing. And I think it'd be fun to add these to the presentation book club as well. And who else do we talk about? Jerry Weissman, we'll throw him in the spice cabinet as well. Some of some resources. It's always good to kind of find new things within the media we're consuming. Exactly. Yeah, it should lead us to the next thing. I'll also link in the Spice Cabinet, you know, the Subway Locator, where to find your local <laughs> shop if you're getting hungry after hearing the classic Jared story. Yeah. The good Jared story. The good one. The good one. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> what else have we got in the Spice well, Cabinet? <laughs> I don't have much. I wish I tried to just cram for this one. So yeah. what I do have... Cover of the Zionsville Monthly, a couple is putting in a new restaurant, which I'm excited about because you know why? It is um, in our tiny little town of, in Indiana. It's a Hemingway themed restaurant bar, which oh, like it's niche. about that. It's like, uh, you know, keys and it's gonna be some fist God, fights. It looks like they'll have some fisty. Yeah. Some, some fist fights. You <laughs> love to fight, right? <laughs> yeah. So that'd be cool. Sounds fun. Usually we get like a, a new chain or something, you know, like, so that's kind of cool. It's called the Tipsy Mermaid and I'll probably be there. The Tipsy Check it Mermaid. Out. That's so good. Oh, yeah. I love that. I know if I some concrete messaging. Themed bars. Dude, I know. That could be fun yeah. to talk about. Hemingway bars are cool in that, by that I mean the ones that Ernest Hemingway actually used to go drink at. Mm-hmm. Seems oh. like he used to hang out in cool places. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know I followed all that stuff when I lived in Paris. I was like, this person was here, and I sat yeah. there, and I drank espresso, and I choked through a cigarette trying to, you know, mimic the experience. <laughs> <laughs> did you um? Did you watch Midnight in Paris? Of course. Of course I did, yes. I loved that. <laughs> the Hemingway in there was hilarious. I actually think Owen Wilson can be a little bit annoying, but I think he's really charming in that video, in that film. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. he, he kind of plays himself in that a bit. Yeah, in everything. Yeah, no, you it's did. true. Wow. It was good. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, nice. We'll link that up as well. Okay. We got a we got a cookie oh. spice cabinet today, but I know. So presentationthinking.com uh, just had our first webinar. Tune in. We'll probably be getting together the next webinar in the next six to eight weeks or so. <laughs> Who knows? We'll have a second one though. Get ready to keep learning. Yeah, new webinars, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, okay. Um, I'm Mikey at ghostranch.com. If you have any questions, ideas for the cast, Feedback. shoot them our way. We'd love Leave to. Leave a review. If you're yeah, listening on it. Spotify or iTunes, I realize this is something we don't say, but people say that in podcasts because reviews help other people find us. So if we're at all helpful to you or ridiculous or even annoying... Leave yeah. a review and let us know. This is a storyteller study club. We want you to be part of it. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We love you. Okay. Pitch on. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Stay sticky. Stay sticky. Stay sticky.